Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Behold, Gospel of John. It's exciting stuff. My name is Dave. I'm one of your pastors, member of the preaching team here. Uh, I'm excited to be sharing from God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to John chapter 1. Uh, Bible on your smartphone. Uh, there are some available in the lobby, and you can also pick up the study guide uh, that has the same picture that you just saw. Uh, when I first moved into where, our, where we now live, our home now, uh, several years ago, uh, there was this really strange thing in the basement, and I'm hoping you can help me identify it. I think we have a picture. I think we have a picture. Yeah, do, just shout it out. It's a phone. And my children, maybe they had seen one along the way, but they did not understand this to be a phone. It had weird buttons that stuck out. It had, you picked it up, there was a cord. It was literally attached to the wall. Uh, and so I remember gathering around and they were, they were speculating. Wondering, it's red, maybe there's, you know, it's a special line, you know, uh, to somebody special because it's a red phone, who knows? Now, of course, now uh, this is a phone, right? But this is so much more than a phone, wouldn't you agree? There's so much. I remember when Apple first came out with the iPhone, I had an iPod that they don't make anymore. And that was an MP3 player with my music on it. And then I had a cellular phone and Apple was saying, we're going to put them together. And it was amazing. And now there's so much computing on my phone. It's more computing power than an entire supercomputer that used to take up rooms of space to do the same kind of computing that I have in my pocket. To call it a phone is a little bit, you know, silly, right? But what is it? It's a phone. And then we try and make up for it by saying it's a smartphone. (laughs) Well, that's a phone. This is a smartphone. And there's this interesting thing is that that didn't happen all at once. We, We called this a phone and that a phone, and it kind of slowly emerged in the app store and everything added and we began to understand what a phone really was right as we as we have it today the other gospels matthew mark and luke they take that kind of incremental approach to helping us understand jesus right and they give us his genealogy and he's born a beautiful baby right like oh we have the awe moment jesus is a baby right And then we see him, we even get kind of some childhood accounts and we see and we begin, just like the readers in those gospels and the disciples themselves, we begin to understand the gravity of the situation that this man is the Messiah, God. And in each of those gospels, there's kind of this moment where the disciples and and you as the reader, we begin to understand the magnitude of Jesus, the greatness of Christ. John does not take any time. (laughs) He begins by putting our minds in a walnut cracker and cranking until they just explode and he gives us brand new categories in just a few words. It's a piece of poetry. I've had several people say, Pastor Dave, I'm excited for you to preach because this is one of my favorite passages. I woke up on Monday going, oh no, I'm preaching John 1. (laughs) There is so much great stuff. We're not going to cover it all. I'll disappoint you now. But there's this also this aspect where it's it's poetry and it hangs together and it's beautiful. And so I just asked Pastor Lance, uh, who's done a number of spoken words, to just kind of in dramatic fashion read our scripture today. So we're going to check it out. 
Pastor Lance, John chapter 1. As we work our way through the scripture today, you're going to notice that there are some kind of aside comments that uh, the Apostle John writes about John the Baptist. And we're going to be looking fully at John the Baptist next week, and so we're just going to kind of leave some of those John the Baptist comments and pick them up when we get there. Uh, But we're going to kind of look at these poetic sections, and we're going to work our way through. I'm going to kind of make three kind of groupings of our verses today, and the first is the greatness of Christ, Jesus and God. How did Jesus and God relate in, in understanding the greatness of Christ? One of the primary ways that John communicates, as we looked at last week, is it's very simple. Light, darkness, the word, just very simple words. But he is also doing something very interesting where for someone who has never read any other scripture, it just makes sense on a surface level. But if you understand scripture, even at a very complex and deep level, John will kind of connect you to other passages of Scripture, some that are easy to discern and some that are more difficult. And his deeper meanings come out as what he's writing interacts with these Old Testament passages and the understanding of these Old Testament passages. And we go through John, we'll be doing some of this kind of deeper dive work. And let me just start with a question. When John begins, in the beginning, what is he referencing? Genesis chapter 1. He is taking us back to the creation account that begins in the beginning, God. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And just right there, we start to go, wait, what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, let's take a look at how this compares to Genesis 1. I think we've kind of got a side-by-side comparison. And you can see some of what's happening because John is not actually giving us new information. He's just pulling out what was already there and just kind of putting it in different order. Genesis 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. We see this dark and light. In the spirit of God, in Hebrew, spirit and breath are the same word. The spirit of God, the breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said. So God spoke in his word. The word 
was present in this moment and John pulls this out and says, let there be light. So in the moment that God's word is mentioned in Genesis 1, it is the light going forth as the genesis of creation. And as we look back, we see he's just drawing our attention and, and, and cracking our minds open and giving us a different category. John then goes through and he, he says some very powerful things about the word that as we work our way through John chapter 1 is Jesus. There's no doubt about that. And I'm just going to give you them and then we're going to kind of look at them. That Jesus is eternally pre-existent. I'll explain what that means. He's eternally in relationship and he's eternally God. Jesus is eternally pre-existent. So this phrase, in the beginning, is kind of this marking point, meaning the beginning of all creation. And every belief system, even including atheism that doesn't believe in God, says there was a point. What do they call it? The Big Bang, right? So there was a point where in the beginning, that, that moment, and then there's everything that's before the in the beginning, This is just two basic categories. And so there is the beginning and everything that we understand, matter and time and existence. And then there's something that we as humans don't understand that happened before of all that, which is before in the beginning. That's a place only occupied by God, the necessary being, that which is eternally existent, that which gave existence existence. And John points out, here's in the beginning, and in this category is Jesus. He's eternally pre-existent. There was never a point where Jesus was not. I love Dr. Seuss, and one of the theologians this week that I read reminded me of him when he said, Jesus was always wasing. Jesus was always wasing. There was never a time where Jesus was not. He's eternally pre-existing. He's eternally in relationship. John then has this beautiful uh, formulation that we get translated as the word was with God. Which creates both a separation between the word and God and... This idea that he's continually towards God, continually in relationship. And so it's teaching us something about what was happening before the beginning is that there's this pre-existing God and the word is continually in relationship with God and then John comes back and says, and the word was God. And so it's this way of, of pulling and creating a separate, separateness to a certain extent, but a full equality at the same time. Now, if you're a little bit confused as you break this down, that's okay. The great theologians of the early church right after Jesus died and rose again spent about 300 years wrestling with this passage of scripture. (laughs) So, we're not gonna, you know, but it's beautiful. At the same time, it's poetry. It's almost a mathematical equation. And it creates this perfect understanding in just a few small words of Jesus being the word in the beginning with God continually in relationship with God and God he is the creator just so that there's no confusion he goes on all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made 
And so it takes us back to that dividing line that I talked about where everything began. And here is creation moving forward and here is this pre-existing eternal state that only God occupies. And John says it in such a way that it's impossible that Jesus is on this side of that moment. That everything that has ever been made has been made through him. And if you just think about this, in all cultures, in all understandings, in all belief systems, all, whether you have one God or multiple gods, it all comes back to the great God, the God who is creator. The maker of heaven and earth. And John explains, we're like five words in, right? <laughs> Jesus is that God. Jesus is eternally preexistent, eternally in relationship, eternally God. He is the creator. And why does God, or why does John use the, the word, the word? Well, it's interesting. The word as a title for Jesus is not used really through the rest of John. It's not used in other parts of scripture. In some ways, it's unique in the New Testament to John here, but he's going back and he's saying it's also what God spoke in the creation account. And, and at the same time, this phrase, the word, is something that other belief systems in various ways at the time of John would use to describe God. And he was pulling both these current cultural things and this moment from creation and this very powerful verse passage from Isaiah. And then he's wanting us to understand something about Jesus by him referring to him as the word. Let's take a look. Isaiah 55, verses 9 through 11. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. It's this new creation, this new thing. Making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What does Jesus say all throughout the book of John? I have been sent by the Father for his purpose, and when I'm done, I will return to him. This is clearly explaining Jesus as the word sent by God, and he is accomplishing the purpose that, as we find out, as he refers to him all throughout the book of John, the Father sent him to do. Now, this is important because it, it is really foundational in understanding who Christ is. It's foundational in the sense of Christianity. And so when we're looking at something like this, uh, the, the theology and doctrine of it, it's important that we get that right and we understand. But, but it, there, this is really theology which should draw us closer to God and not just doctrine. Doctrine is just information that we can formulate about really any religion. But when we're students of the word and we study something like this, it should draw us closer to God. And I think what I would challenge you with today is I'm afraid your picture of Jesus is too small. And John has that same concern. I'm afraid that your picture of Jesus is too small, that you have in some way adopted the general mindset that Jesus was a great moral thinker and teacher, 
that he came to help us become better people, that he, he came to increase humanity in some way, that he, that he is a teacher, maybe the best teacher that ever was. Your picture of Jesus is too small, on orders of magnitude too small. And this is easy to do because sometimes in life there are things that sound similar but are completely different. Ten feet, right, is completely different than ten miles. They're both tens. And we can understand 10 feet because I can see from beginning to end. And I can't quite understand 10 miles, but I can put it on a map and I can track it. But 10 feet is different from 10 miles, and 10 miles is different from 10 light years. Because that's another order of magnitude that we can't fully comprehend. I tried to, just so you know. It's 58,784,998,142,100 miles. I rounded the point one four. Our fastest moment of space travel, it can't go this fast, but let's say one of our spacecraft could, the fastest that we could cover, if we could go that speed, it would still take 137,000 years to travel those 10 light years. And when we talk about Jesus being a teacher or a, or a moral influence of some kind, we do not understand on the order of magnitude of 10 light years who Jesus is. And John will not let us make this mistake. He will not let us just settle into this normal way of thinking about Jesus. And that's my encouragement to us as we begin. He, he starts us right here. He brings us all the way back to the beginning and he shows us that, that this is Jesus. And everything we see him do from here on out will be different because we understand this. The greatness of Christ. If you're a note taker, that's that first section, Jesus and God. The second section, starting in verse 9, is the revelation of Christ. Jesus in creation. This is Jesus being revealed. Revelation is when, when something is revealed supernaturally and what John is revealing is a new creation. Now this phrase new creation is something we saw when we went book, through the book uh, 2 Corinthians. We see it in other parts of scripture. John doesn't use the phrase specifically, but he's going back to Genesis 1. I don't think we can miss it. And he's, this is one of those examples of John contrasting the meeting and, and showing us. And so we see in the beginning, I think we've got another chart with a couple of extra verses. And in John, he talks about all those who did receive him were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the bottom little section in John there. And in the creation account, we see God formed the man of the dust and ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Remember, the breath and spirit is the same word. The man became a living creature. And we'll even see at the end of John that Jesus, in order to give the disciples the Holy Spirit, breathes on them in the same sort of way that God did to give life here. It's talking about a different kind of life, right? John's theme of life that he, he, he pulls out for us in chapter 20 that we talked about last week, this theme of life now becomes practical in the Holy Spirit for this new life, this new breath that Jesus is going to bring and teach us about. The revelation of Christ, Jesus with creation. Here's how John talks about this. He talks about it in terms of light. First of all, the light is revealed, verse 9. Let's read it. The true light, which gives light 
to everyone was coming into the world. Literally the cosmos, the, the, the universe. It's this word that John will use and kind of give it meaning. So the world, just like in Genesis 1, is dark and the light is coming in as this act of creation and this is what God is doing. Then the light is rejected. John 10 and 11. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. They rejected him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So there's this light revealed, and then there's this light rejected. And so it's interesting, obviously, when, when God created the first time, there's, there's just this darkness and this void. He's just creating. But there's this different aspect of this new creation where it can be either rejected or we'll see in a, in a sense accepted. Now, rejecting God's word is actually a common theme in the Old Testament. Remember, God's word would be given to a prophet, and the prophet would take God's word to his people, and then the people would either receive the word or they would reject the word. And when they rejected the word, often they would kill the prophet, and then God would bring judgment. We, we, we saw that all throughout the Old Testament. There's this rejection of God's word theme. But, but John here is talking about the light. Let me just ask you a simple question. How is light rejected? How can, how can you reject light? Let me give you a hint. Think of like a two-year-old. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek or like peekaboo or had some sort of experience with a two-year-old where they want to make you disappear and what do they do? <laughs> the light no longer exists. I can't hear you. I can't see you. And if I cover my eyes, in my world, it, it doesn't matter anymore. Whatever's going on out there doesn't apply to me because I'm just going to cover my eyes and reject. And in the same kind of childlike rebellion, there is a rejection of light. Can we go and turn off the sun? Can, can we stop it from shining? No. There is light. The light is coming into the world. This is God's sovereign working in his power and rejection looks like when we cover our eyes. And John brings this out by continually pointing us to spiritual blindness and the healing of physical blindness. And, and that's the problem is that we're just, our eyes are covered. The light received, verses 12 and 13, says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of flesh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the first time that John introduces something totally unique in what we're, what we're talking about, right? He, he's talking about like the cosmos and creation and good and evil and light and darkness and all of this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden there's this, this note, this interjection of this beautiful idea that you and I, can be sons and daughters of God. And I think it's important because when you, when you talk about the reality that Jesus is God, the eternally existing one, and he's coming with light, which implies judgment and laying things bare and all things being known, and we become acutely aware of how we have wronged God or how we've wronged others or just our inadequacy in the face of a holy, all-powerful, eternally existing God, 
there should be some sort of our soul that begins to question, what is God's intention toward me? And John goes out of his way to use this tender idea that God's intention is that we would be his sons and daughters. In his letter, John later on says, I learned it in a different version, but it's a song I actually learned as a kid. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And John is revealing the heart of God and Jesus reveals the heart of God all throughout the Gospel of John in his great love for us. And let me just ask a simple question. If, this is, if we reject it by doing this, how do we receive the light? Because John makes it clear, it's, it's, it's not of the flesh, it's not of our own activity, right? He kind of clicks through some different categories. It's, it's not of, the, of blood or of the will of the flesh, a sexual desire, nor of the will of man, family planning. How does this new creation, how does this new life take place? But God, this is God's activity. What is our part if we reject it We're spiritually blind and we cover our eyes. If we receive the light, what do we do? We simply behold. Someone pick up a study guide. Behold. (laughs) This is what John the Baptist is about to say and encourage people. What should we do? We should simply behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Behold. Open your eyes and the light is there. It is God's power. It's his sovereignty. He is moving. He's doing something new. He's creating something new in you. And how can we begin to understand this out of these abstract terms in terms of being a son or daughter of God? The revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus in creation. Right? So there's the greatness of Christ, Jesus and God. There's the revelation of Christ, this whole light being revealed thing, Jesus in all creation. And then it gets very personal, and it's the incarnation of Christ, Jesus and us. The incarnation of Christ, Jesus and us. I think the slide is wrong. The incarnation of Christ, Jesus and us. And that, that word incarnation is difficult, right? I remember one of the first times I heard it, I thought they were talking about the breakfast drink. Uh, carnation. Uh, that's a whole different thing, right? I don't even know where they got that from. Probably from the p- flower. That's a whole different thing. Incarnation is this idea of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. It's, that's what we call it. We celebrate it at Christmas. Let's take a look. Verses 14, 16, and 17. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. So John is concluding this whole idea. He's he's explained what the word is, and then what happens. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This beautiful phrase, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As you read that, you don't have any context of the Old Testament. You've never been around the Bible. John just says it like it is. The word that I just explained, this pre-existing eternal creator God, that's with God continually towards God, but is also God, has 
taken on flesh and is dwelling among us, and he's going to tell us the account of what he did when he was here. But if you're a student of scripture, there's kind of this other thing that happens. He actually uses a very unique word. He said, and, and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. It's a weird way to put that, right? It's like setting up a tent. You could interpret it that way, but it's this word tabernacle, which, you know, we don't use all the time, and they didn't either. And if you're a student of God's word, the tabernacle was this place where they housed the Ark of the Covenant, and the glory of God was with the people of God as they journeyed through the wilderness. Eventually, the temple would be built in Jerusalem. And that's where the presence of God was, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God was in the, the temple and the Holy of Holies and all that goes with that, right? And, and, but before that, when they traveled in the wilderness, when they were set free by the blood of the Lamb and they were in the wilderness depending on God, they would be led by the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That was the, the glory of God that was directly leading them. And then when they would set up camp, it was this portable temple this tabernacle and that's where they worshiped God and that's where God dwelled among them when they were out wandering in the wilderness and John says this word came and is tabernacling amongst us and the glory of God the Shekinah glory of God has been wrapped up in this human form Jesus the word tabernacling amongst us the word took on flesh the word became flesh and then there's this beautiful phrase grace upon grace verse 16 for from his fullness so this is the fullness of Jesus we have all received grace upon grace literally grace replaced by grace Grace that just won't run out. It's like, have you ever played that game where you put your hands in the middle and then you keep, you know, doing this? And it's like an endless thing of hands. It's amazing when you're three. Or, or, a, or just a fountain kind of bubbling up, right? Or, or the sun that, that just will continue to shine. It's this limitless, unimaginable amount of grace. It's grace being replaced upon grace. And of course, grace is is God's love for us, but it's deeper than that, right? It's, it's, it's his desire to forgive a, our sins. It's the empowerment to live lives that honor him. It's all of this. And it begins to answer the question that we were asking before, what is God's intention toward us? It's that we would be sons and daughters of God and that we would have grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Because there's this weird thing that happens in us as human beings is we begin to lose track of the magnitude of Jesus, right? We begin to lose track of the magnitude of God in our sin, in our wrong deeds, in the things that we know that we've done, in our mistakes. They begin to loom so large in our mind that we lose track of the greatness and the goodness of God. We lose track of his grace upon grace, his, his unending grace, and we, we begin to imagine that we've, we've out-sinned God's grace. You cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot create so much darkness that will overcome his light. 
There is no deception that can eradicate his truth. We cannot even begin to put a mark on God's grace. It is so full and and overflowing. And all we have to do is receive, to behold, to understand who Jesus is and allow his light to shine in our lives. You're not trusting God with your life because your God is too small. The same hands that hold the world together, shaped the universe, spoke time and matter into existence, existed before existence existed. That God says he cares about you, your life, your darkness, your situation, and this world, and he wants to change everything. John begins by showing us the greatness of Christ, the revelation of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. We see who Jesus is in relation with God. We see who he is in relationship with creation. We see who he is in relationship with us. And I hope that that just as John intended, our categories of Jesus have been blown away and we're ready to behold who Jesus is the Lamb of God, here to take away the sins of the world, mine, yours, without end. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for this great understanding that you've given us, Lord, but we we can't even begin to. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Lord, I pray specifically for those who might be struggling with spiritual blindness and they're putting a a hand up towards you or their hands over their eyes and they're, they're not wanting to allow your light in. God, would you soften their hearts? Would you soften my heart? Would you soften our hearts to your goodness and your grace and your loving kindness, your, your great love towards us. Show us, Lord, about your grace upon grace. Lord, give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear who Jesus is and his great love for us. We pray these things in that name.